0: Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 13, where Peter writes, Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and with reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own, through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For some reason, for most of us, it's not easy for us to share our faith story. It's not easy for us to share our testimony. Even if someone says, would you share your faith story next Sunday? in a small group at the church or a Bible study or a class, we still get really nervous about it, even though the assumption is most everybody else in the class believes in Jesus too. But for some reason, we just tend to get really wound up about sharing our faith. Are we adequate to share our faith? And and maybe we wonder, wonder what people will think about me if they hear my whole story. I mean, what are what people will think if they realize at one time I might have I might have been this kind of a person but now today I'm different or or wonder what they'd think of me if if they realize that at some time in the past I I doubted and I I didn't believe like I do today wonder what they will think maybe that's the reason it's challenging for us to share our faith stories but it's such a vital thing last week we had the privilege of of witnessing an amazing ministry moment. If you were not here, you can pull it back up. But it, it was the story that Emily Campbell showed, Miss Emily, who, who is the, the director of our preschool program. What an amazing testimony she shared with, with our church in, in that conversation because she shared with us that, that she'd grown up with an image of God that was not a positive image of God, but rather it was an image of God that, that tended to, to imply we'll never be good enough for God, we'll never be able to pull it all off for God, there's no way that God's going to accept somebody like me, and, and so she shared that as a result she just she tended to steer away from God. But she entered her four-year-old son into the preschool program here at the church and the good news is is that a preschool teacher took seriously their role in teaching the faith to a four-year-old little boy Sometimes I fear that that when we talk about help out with children's ministry or be involved in children's programs, we see it as glorified babysitting. Thank God there was a preschool teacher who did not see it that way, but actually saw the, the ability to invest in the life of a child and to be able to share with a child the good news of God and how much God loves us and His Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, this teacher taught that and took it seriously to where this child would go home. What did you learn in school today? And Start talking about their faith. And pretty soon, it was this child who started teaching his mother about this God who loves us. And it was a different image of God than she had grown up with. And, And so all of a sudden, she's got this interest in God. She wants to learn more about this God. And and she starts volunteering to help out in the preschool program. And soon she becomes one of our preschool teachers. And she's around all the other great teachers who, who share their faith and she witnesses as they tell their stories. And then then she became the director of the preschool program. And and now she she helps lead over three hundred and thirty children and their families and the staff to learn this good news of Jesus Christ. All because Back here, a preschool teacher thought that it was important to tell a four-year-old child about Jesus Christ. Sharing our stories, we just never know the ripple effects, the impact that's going to be made when we share what God has done for us. We've been walking through a series of sermons during the season of Lent. Lent is that 40-day period of time, not counting Sundays, when we walk with Jesus once again to the cross. The first Sunday, we started talking about getting real. Getting real. We don't, we don't have time to play church. We don't have time to play with our faith. And, and God is not looking for somebody that looks like a church. God is looking for a church. The body of Christ to take seriously what it means to be the people of God and, and to share this message of, of the sacrificial love given to us through Jesus Christ. Getting real. Getting real. So we talked about the first time naming our sin being honest with ourselves and who we are in our relationship with god and we looked at david and david's sin and then his confession in psalm 51. the following week pastor rocio led us in in, and understanding about getting real about our need for god that we need god we really need god in our lives and why that is true Last week, we talked about getting real in worship, that that worship is not simply about coming to be entertained, but rather to have an encounter with God, and for our lives to be changed by God. And today, I want us to think a little bit about getting real with sharing our faith, and sharing our story, and, and actually living the example and testimony of Jesus Christ. Peter is writing to the churches, and And he's calling on the churches to Christian living. He's calling on them to a life that's rooted in Christ. And he says, now, when you do that, in verse 15, you need to be ready. Always, he says, be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. But always be ready to make your defense. The Greek word for de- defense there is, is apologia. It's where we get the, the term apologetics, which is where we stand up and proclaim, this is, this is what I believe. It's actually a legal term that was used in a court system where someone would get up and, and make their defense or someone would share their testimony. Someone would share the truth, the whole truth, and, and nothing but the truth. So help them God. It was that legal term, and and here it's used to explain. Always be ready to make your defense, to share your testimony, to explain your faith of why you live the way you do, why you are the people you are, why you seem to have hope the way you have it. And he says, And when you do this, do it with gentleness and reverence. I don't know. I think maybe one of the reasons we're hesitant to share our faith is sometimes the way other people share their faith with us, it it does anything but attract us to the gospel. It seems to be anything but with gentleness and reverence. I mean, sometimes when we hear people share their faith or share their witness or talk to you about Christ, it's like they've got the Bible in hand and they're ready to hold it right in front of you. And I'm going to tell you right now, you better get your life right. And they're shaking that Bible. And if you don't seem to be getting it, then they're ready to go... Maybe that's one of the reasons we're hesitant to share our faith is because we've seen it shared so poorly. So so what does it mean? Why do we struggle? Eugene Peterson, in, in the message, his paraphrase of the Scripture, paraphrases 1 Peter 3, 15 this way. He says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are, but always with the utmost courtesy. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost courtesy. Why do we struggle telling our faith? Dr. Fiend Perkins tells the story of an ABC News reporter who during an interview said that people are quite willing to reveal the most intimate details of their sexual lives, but most mainline church members have nothing to say about their faith why is it? I mean, we, we just seem to be willing to talk about just about anything. I mean, we'll post just about anything. I, I limit my social media, and one of, one of the reasons for that is is just, you know, the time to be able to do it and, and do it well, but there's just a lot of things that people post that I don't need to know. Nancy showed me a post one day of, of one of our family members who actually sent it, put a note out there for everyone to see. Just got home from work. Dinner is done. I love my crock pots. <laughs> I just didn't need to know that. That's just not something that's going to change my life. We'll post just about anything and share almost every moment of our lives, but for some reason the main part of our lives, the most important part of our lives, the thing that determines who we are, we're often hesitant to share. Why? Luke chapter 8, we learn the story of Jesus and the disciples getting in a boat and they head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they get there, they're now in the country of the garrisones. And there's this, there's this man who's a Gerizine who's been... Who's been filled with so many demons that his life has absolutely been miserable. As a matter of fact, we learned that that the man typically walked around without any clothes on, and he didn't have a home to rest in, but instead he slept in tombs. Now, that may be a little bit odd sounding to you, but in biblical times, if you go to Israel, you can see it today that, that what the people would do is when a loved one died, they would place them into a tomb for the first burial and allow then the body to decompose and deteriorate. And after the time had come when nothing would be left but the bones, they would open the tomb back up, go in, take out the bones, and then go bury those permanently in their burial place. And then the tomb could be reused by another family member when the time came. It's why when Jesus is taken down off the cross and they take him to a tomb, the scripture says that it was a tomb that had never been used before. Well, that's why. Because often families had an area where the body would go through its natural decomposition and then the bones would be buried later. But we're told this man actually lived in a tomb. I mean, that's the kind of life that that at night he would lay down where most family members would lay the bodies of a loved one. What a miserable life. So when Jesus gets to the other side, he, he meets Jesus there and he falls down before him and he shouts, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And Jesus asks him, what's your name? And he goes, my name is Legion. Legion, because he was filled with so many demons. But then the demons beg Jesus, don't cast us into the abyss. And, and so Jesus looks around and he sees a, a herd of, of swine and pigs, and he, and he cast the demons out and they go into the pigs, and, and the pigs then stampede down a bank into the water, and they drown. And now, standing before Jesus, is this broken man who finally has been relieved of all that's been bothered. And when Jesus starts to leave, he wants to go with Jesus. I want to I go with you. I, I want to go with you. And And Jesus said, no, verse 39, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. That's what it means to share our stories. It's just to share what God has done for us. This is what difference Jesus Christ has made in my life. We're not being called to be some brilliant scholars and and give this eloquent defense, but but just this is what Christ means to me and the difference that it's made in my life. In John 4, you have the familiar story of Jesus going into Samaria. As he goes into Samaria, he sees this woman at a well. Now, most Jews would have walked miles around Samaritan land rather than ever go through it. You were actually considered to be unclean if you went through Samaria. Jews despised Samarians. Back in the Old Testament, there was a time that the Assyrians had come in and conquered Israel, and and they they took a lot of the people of Israel out through the rest of the empire. They brought Assyrians into the empire. but, But over several generations and years and years later, some of the Hebrew people actually married some of the Assyrian people, and their offspring were now known as Samaritans. Oh, they were despised. I mean they're no they're not pure. They're not holy. They're not faithful to God. And and they were despised. Jesus goes right through Samaria. He gets to the Samaritan woman at the well. It's around noontime. Woman drawing water at noon. That's just not a normal picture. Normally early in the morning, you'd see the women at the well, yes. Normally late in the afternoon, you'd see women at the well, yes. But in the middle of the day, that was just unusual. Why would a woman be drawing water at the well in the middle of the day unless she was one of those kind of women? Been ostracized by all the other women, not allowed to be around the other women. And so Jesus starts having conversation with her. Jesus asked her, woman, would you give me something to drink? And she looks at Jesus and said, I can't believe you're actually asking me that. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're supposed to hate me. Why are you even talking to me? You're a man. I'm a woman. According to the custom, we can't talk to each other in public. I'm not kin to you. Why are you talking to me? Ask me to give you something to drink. And Jesus said, woman... If you knew who it was that was talking to you, you would ask me to give you something to drink and the water I give you is living water and you'll never thirst again. And she looked at Jesus and said, and I got something to say to you as well and that is, you're a nut. <laughs> now that's the paraphrase version, of course. <laughs> she goes, you come to the well to get some water, you don't even have a bucket with you. Who comes to get water from a well doesn't even bring a bucket? then you tell me you're going to give me some kind of water, but you don't even have a bucket. They enter into this great conversation. Jesus explains about the living water, but then Jesus then says to her, go call your husband. Cheapishly, she looks at Jesus and says, well, actually, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, I know. But you've had a lot of them in the past. And not only that, you're now living with a guy that you're not married to. And she goes, wow. How did he know? How did he know? And, and she leaves and she goes back to her village and, and she tells all the people, you won't believe this, but, but I met a guy who knew everything about me. <laughs> And what's really beautiful about the scripture is John says that when she left, she left her water jar behind, which is kind of funny. She called Jesus a nut for not bringing a bucket. She came to the well to get water and then goes home without her jar. Except Jesus had said, if you drink of the water I'll give you, you'll never thirst again. So maybe she left the jar because she had tasted the living water. Because she says to the people... I think I saw the Messiah. I think I met the Messiah. The people come to see Jesus. And I love verse 39 of John 4. It says, Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days And many more then believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this truly is the Savior of the world. I mean, isn't that what evangelism really is? It's when I share with somebody, you share with somebody, this is what Jesus Christ means to me. And that creates an opportunity for them to meet Jesus Christ for themselves. Isn't that what evangelism really is? Is when we share this is what Jesus Christ means to me, and, and this is what God means in my life, and it creates an opportunity for somebody to then meet Jesus for themselves. We sometimes make sharing our stories so challenging and difficult. I often hear people go, Well, I'm just afraid if I start talking to somebody about my faith, somebody's gonna ask me a question and I won't know how to answer. Well, join the club. I've been doing this for many years now, and I've been to school and I study all the time, and still have people come up to me periodically and go, "I've got a question for you." And I go, "That is is a great question." I don't know the answer to that one. There, there's a lot of questions that people ask me that I don't have the answer to. It's one of the reasons I keep studying. And there are going to be a lot of questions that you're asked that you don't know the answer to. And it's, it's why we have Bible studies and Sunday school classes and life groups and all kinds of other groups. So, so, so we can continue to grow. It's one of the things we hope and worship is we'll learn something about the Scripture so that, that at least there might be a question that we can now answer But I'll tell you this, if if, if we get to the point where I can answer everything there is to know about God, then that would mean God's only about that big. My God's so big that there'll always be questions. If I wait until I have the answer to every question before I preach another sermon, I will never preach another sermon. And if you wait until you have every answer before you share with somebody your faith, you will never share with anybody your faith. Our job is not to try to be the scholar that knows everything, but the Christian who goes, I just want to tell you what Jesus Christ means to me. And set the environment for them to get to know Jesus for themselves. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works. Why? So that they can give glory to your Father in heaven. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. I love in Acts chapter 8 the story of the Ethiopian eunuch who had actually been to Jerusalem to worship God and he's heading back home and he's on the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And, and, and God then says to Philip, hey, you see that guy over there in the chariot? And he goes, yeah, well, go, go catch up with him and, and, and talk to him. And, and so Philip runs up to the chariot and he doesn't know why, but he sees the eunuch reading from Isaiah and he goes, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch goes, how can I? Unless somebody guides me. How can I? Unless somebody explains it to me. And, And then he invited Philip to get in and sit beside of him. That's what sharing our story is. It's about just getting in and sitting beside of somebody on their journey. It's not having all the answers, but walking with someone, sharing, well, this is what Christ means to me. Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And how, how can I be ashamed to share the fact that I love a God who so loved me he would crawl up on one of these and die for me? How can I be ashamed of a God who's, who's willing to go through the cross? Patsy and I were talking about sharing the the movie, The Passion of the Christ. So on Holy Week, on Wednesday night, the movie, The Passion of the Christ is going to be shown here. and, And I'll just share with you, make sure you look at the ratings and stuff, because it is graphically violent, because, well, that's just not some casual thing. I mean, sometimes we simply say, Jesus died for me and for my sins, as if, you know, he just kind of laid down and died. But man, what Jesus went through for us and for our sins. When I look at that kind of love, how can I be ashamed to admit I belong to Him? I belong to Him. Jesus said, "I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations." That was the great commission in Matthew twenty-eight. And in Luke, and Luke tells us in Acts chapter one verse eight that that Jesus said, and you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so he says to us, you'll be my witnesses here in Weddington and then South Charlotte and across North Carolina through the United States and around the world. I mean, th- this is our job. It's our calling. Sharing our stories. Have you ever thought about what would have happened if, if, a, if a teacher, a preschool teacher had not taught a four-year-old little boy about God, then he wouldn't have been able to go home and teach his mother about God, who then was able to teach a lot of other children and their parents about God. Have you thought about whose life would have been changed if the teacher way back here had not taken seriously her calling? And who then is it in our lives that God's put before us that if we don't take the time to teach them about our faith in this God, then whose life is going to be affected when that person doesn't have a faith to share with somebody else who then can't share it with someone else? It means the ripple stops with us. The ripple stops with us. I remember a a commercial many years ago showing my age a little bit. But somebody goes, so I told two friends. And they told two friends. And they told two friends. Who then told two friends? And pretty soon, you see the screen just multiply up that if everybody went out and shared with two friends, how how many people know? But did you ever stop to realize that if the first person didn't tell anybody, blank screen. And maybe our world today is in the shape it's in because too many of us have not told two friends of what Christ means to us in our lives. So who is it? Somebody in our family that just desperately needs to know who Jesus Christ is. A friend may desperately need to know what Christ means to us so that they can meet Christ himself. Themselves. A co-worker, a neighbor. Who, who is it? And then the ripple effect. When one tells another who tells another. Peter says, always be ready. To make your apology your defense. To share your faith. You, you don't need to know the answer to every question. Just the question... Why do you believe? Answer that one. We've a story to tell to the nations that shall turn their hearts to the right. For Christ's great kingdom shall come on earth the kingdom of love and light. Amen.